You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's August 5th. Strengthen democracies, prevent technological disaster, stop the truth decay that is eroding American politics. These are some of Jason Matheny's priorities as RAND's new president and CEO. In a new profile, which you can read on the RAND blog, he describes the severity of these issues, but also his cautious optimism about addressing them. A friend of Matheny's, in fact, calls him an apocaloptimist, meaning humans are on a really good trajectory, if we can just avoid any threats to our existence. Matheny is a technologist, a futurist, a self-described nerd, and a huge fan of 80s pop music. He has spent his career trying to see what's coming next, from synthetic viruses to artificial intelligence. His pursuit of that goal has taken him from the housing projects of Chicago to villages in India to the Pentagon and the White House, where he most recently led policy on technology and national security at the NSC and the Office of Science and Technology Policy. As Rand's new leader, Matheny plans to bring many lessons he's learned along the way. For instance, the best ideas are going to come from a more diverse group of thinkers, he says. He is also intent on listening to researchers, alumni, fans, and critics, and working with them to identify how Rand can make the greatest impact. Rand is approaching its 75th anniversary, and Matheny says now is a moment where we need to think about what will define the next 75 years. Quote, The future could be really brilliant if we dedicate ourselves to solving the world's most important problems. There's no better place to do that than Rand. Algorithms are commonly used in healthcare. Guiding decisions about who receives care, the type of care they receive, how that care is provided, and at what cost. They are intended to improve quality of care by minimizing variation in clinical decision-making, promoting greater adherence to best practices, and maximizing the efficient use of scarce resources. But these tools can have the unintended consequence of codifying racial and ethnic biases, potentially leading to worse outcomes for patients. For example, One widely used algorithm developed to determine care for heart failure has been shown to deflate the risk scores of black patients relative to similar patients of other races. A common recommendation to address this problem is to exclude race and ethnicity as an input, a practice often referred to as fairness through unawareness. But according to Rand's Mark Elliott, the senior author of a new paper on this topic, Eliminating information about race and ethnicity isn't the best approach. Quote, Knowledge of race and ethnicity, not ignorance, is necessary to combat algorithmic bias. So what strategies could help? Elliot and co-authors recommend using health disparity tools, which can measure algorithmic inequities. This can help make clear what corrective measures are necessary to reduce or remove algorithmic bias from treatment decisions. Ultimately, this could not only help improve healthcare algorithms, it could also empower clinicians to reduce bias in the way they practice. 
Tensions between the United States and China ratcheted up this week as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Writing before Pelosi's trip, Rand researcher Lyle Morris and Colonel Kyle Markram of the U.S. Army War College considered whether another U.S.-China hotline, of which there have already been two to date, could help de-escalate situations like the one playing out right now. The precise purpose of a hotline between these two powers depends on who you ask. China and the U.S. each view crisis communications differently. The U.S. views hotlines as a tool to de-escalate and communicate between forces during a crisis. China, on the other hand, harbors deep suspicion about crisis communications with America and sees the hotline as a tool to manipulate, rather than resolve, a crisis. For example, the hotline may be used to stall during tense situations, giving higher levels of the Chinese government an opportunity to stake out a position of maximum pressure and leverage over the U.S. in a negotiation. This difference of opinion, in fact, is a key reason why a hotline might not help cool things off between Washington and Beijing. So, rather than pushing for another hotline, U.S. officials may want to instead reframe how they view crisis communications altogether. They may be better off looking at it as a means of deterrence rather than an instrument to de-escalate tensions. The reversal of Roe v. Wade has led to the criminalization of abortion in at least 10 states. This week, Rand's Rachel Landis and Laura Faherty and Mishka Turplin of the Friends Research Institute wrote about one group that's often overlooked among those likely to be hardest hit by this change, pregnant women with substance use disorders. In a post-Roe world, more women with substance use disorder will be forced to continue pregnancies, which could exacerbate the increased health risks they already face, including greater risk of severe illness and death around the time of childbirth. And the risk of fatal overdose also increases in the year after childbirth. Forcing women with substance use disorder to continue pregnancies could also make it harder for them to receive the treatment they need. Pregnant women already struggle to find affordable, evidence-based, and non-judgmental care. For example, the standard of care for opioid use disorder is medication, either buprenorphine or methadone. But a 2020 study found that only 61% of pregnant women could get an appointment with a provider who would prescribe buprenorphine, compared with 74% of women who weren't pregnant. According to Landis, Faraday, and Turplin, the overturning of Roe v. Wade has opened the door for policies that police and punish pregnant women. But research conducted by Rand and others has demonstrated that such policies are not effective. In fact, the evidence overwhelmingly points in the other direction. Supportive approaches are what help pregnant women with substance use disorders. Despite growing interest in improving diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, in the workplace, the power structure of many companies remains unchanged. For instance, black and indigenous people and other people of color are estimated to make up just 17% of executives, and less than 1% of Fortune 500 CEOs publicly identify as LGBTQ+. What can be done to address this? Rihanna Rogers, director of the RAND Center to Advance Racial Equity Policy, wrote this week about seven strategies that can help build truly equitable workplaces. We'll highlight three today. 
First, offer DEI learning opportunities. Taking a developmental, ongoing approach to DEI learning opportunities is vital. This will allow learning to spread across your organization, Rogers says. She also points out that no one can know all there is to know about DEI. Things change, terminology expands, and issues that impact DEI evolve. Quote, you must build a fluid, not stagnant, structure. Second, realign around inclusive language. Language is culture, Rogers says, and how we frame our DEI-related terminology matters. She recommends that organizations conduct a thorough analysis of their culture and employee experiences within that culture as a first step. One strategy for developing inclusive language is to create a list of words and ask stakeholders to provide their definitions. Leadership could then co-create working groups to finalize the terms. Third, create ongoing checks and balances. Adding ongoing checks and balances at all levels of the DEI organizational process can hold everyone accountable, from executives to entry-level employees. This is essential, Rogers says. Quote, Sustainable change occurs when we begin to take a hard look at our various life experiences and practices, and only when we unpack those can we create truly equitable workplaces. You can find more of Roger's evidence-based advice for building equitable workplaces on the RAND blog. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.